Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm back with Dr. Kathy Goldstein, a renowned neurologist and sleep expert at the University of Michigan Sleep Disorder Center. Today, Dr. Goldstein shares her insights on how to improve sleep quality and quantity, the effectiveness of blue light blockers, sleep supplements, and the exciting future of sleep science and the emergence of AI. So whether you're struggling with sleep issues or simply curious about the science behind a good night's sleep, this episode is packed with insights you will not want to miss. And speaking of improving sleep, if you're looking for actionable information and resources on how to consistently get restful and fulfilling sleep, then grab my free ultimate sleep cheat sheet. This is a no-nonsense guide to creating the conditions for sleep that will help you feel better and perform better. I also provide you with tips for how to leverage naps to boost your mental performance. This is my free gift to you when you sign up for my newsletter, Adaptation. And there's a link in the show notes. All right, let's get to my conversation with Dr. Goldstein. So let's lean in and learn from the best. What are the key things that we can actually change or modify to improve our sleep quality and quantity? So if anyone is listening right now, I would say, and you had to pick one thing, like you're going to make one change this month, I would say get up at the same time every single day. So we are not biologically evolved to be changing our sleep-wake times. It's not how the human sleep regulation processes work. And when you're changing that wake-up time, you are moving your circadian phase around, right? Because your light exposure and your light restriction is your biggest input to your circadian clock. And when you change that by changing your sleep-wake times, because Most of us sleep with our eyes closed. I know I do. I think probably most of your listeners do. That's the biggest gate with light, right? So it's not only, oh, did you go out and get 10 minutes of sunlight, et cetera, et cetera, when you woke up. It's also making sure it's occurring at the same time. That's it. That's all you have to do. And it's not flashy. It's not cool. It's literally can be like an old school alarm clock, but getting up at the same time really stabilizes that circadian rhythm. And because that's such an input to your sleep quality, that one change can really, really improve your sleep quality. And also because your your timing gets more robust, it's easier to fall asleep. So you're not wasting as much time trying to fall asleep, trying to stay asleep when you have a good robust circadian amplitude from maintaining a stable schedule. I love this. So good. Okay, what about blue light blockers? So I really like these. I mean, you'll see different things both in the lay media and actually in the literature about how much these can help. The reason I like the blue locking lenses, and when I talk about these, I'm talking about the orange, you know, like the UVX goggles, is because, again, when we talk about evolution, human beings are not evolved for light at night. We're not like we are not supposed to be getting these blue enriched LED backlit screens in our face at night. We're adapted to have those in the morning because we're used to the sun, right? But we're not used to having them at night. But I have patients, they're doing homework, they're working. Like you said, they're parents and maybe they were trying to do something with their kids during the day, but now they have a deadline at night. 
So computer use within those last critical four hours before fall asleep time, that's the time when light can produce a phase delay or make us more of a night owl, making it harder to fall asleep and wake up. It's almost unavoidable in modern society. And so if I have to work on a presentation or a paper or whatever it may be, I throw on my blue blocking lenses around 7 or 8 p.m. after dinner time to kind of mitigate the damage that I'm doing to my circadian rhythm. I love that. There was a, did you see that paper that was done by the Broad Institute, MIT and Harvard on, uh, it was like 800,000 people in the UK biobank. And they looked at uh, chronotype and how it impacted depression. And they found that it was only like 9% of people are genetically an evening type. But because of things like this, we're stimulating ourselves. And so people don't feel like they need to go to bed. When in reality, it really should be going to bed. And they've had these delays, as you just discussed. So I think it's one of those things about modern living that it's kind of unavoidable to an extent. It's not like I've heard some of these biohackers on shows and they're like, yeah, the house should be. We kind of dim the lights in our home and try to get everybody to start calming down. But it's not like I can live in a cave with candles. Like, come on now. It's not going to happen. What do you think about supplements for sleep? So the thing about supplements and sleep, so everyone asks about them. Everyone wants to take them. There's dietary supplements that I've heard on certain podcasts that we don't even know that much because they're not really comprehensively studied in the sleep field. And then, of course, there's melatonin, which is studied extensively. But here's the thing. We're made to sleep. You don't need anything extra So for me, good sleep isn't about adding things. It's about taking the things away that we know interfere with our sleep. And the only time you really need melatonin is if you are traveling across multiple time zones, right? Because just because the clocks on the wall change doesn't mean your internal clock changes. And that's where melatonin can help if you're a shift worker and you have to sleep during the day. But there's not a medical disorder called melatonin deficiency. So there's really no reason to take melatonin. And then some of these other supplements that, you know, you hear like, well, there's a paper here, a paper there. Again, we're not deficient in these things. Our body is made to sleep. It's just about leveraging the biological systems that let you sleep instead of interfering with them or kind of adding these adjacent things that may or may not help. Kathy, you are one of my favorite people now. (laughs) Same. It's like my sister from Michigan. I'm so glad we've met. This is so awesome. Last question for you is where do you think the field of sleep science is going? Oh, I think this is a great question. Okay. So you and I have chatted about artificial intelligence, and I think sleep is such a well-suited field to apply AI for a few different reasons. One reason is for our clinical cornerstone diagnostic testing. It's the polysomnogram or PSG, and we collect a ton of data, including brain waves, electroencephalogram, respiration, oximetry, EKG. And so those signals are complex physiological signals, and we don't just measure those cross-sectionally for a second in time. We measure them over eight hours. So that's time series, physiological, complex, heterogeneous data. It's different within individuals, between individuals, and that is just the type of data that machine learning can really help us understand. Because right now we're looking at that, we're saying, 
non-REM sleep, REM sleep, sleep apnea, no sleep apnea. But what we really think you might be able to get out of that is when are you going to get dementia? Or is your sleep apnea going to give you heart disease or is it not going to affect you at all? And so machine learning will be critical to that. Also, as limited as wearables are, I do want to make sure that we're bringing sleep back into the home as we embark on kind of a new era of sleep medicine, because almost all of our sleep takes place at home, not in a sleep lab. And that's where these wearables can help. And I think we're going to really start to understand patterns over time, what patterns are healthy, what patterns are harmful. And because we're monitoring heart rate with these devices and heart rate variability, we're really going to start to understand the autonomic properties of sleep and how that affects health. And it's not sleep in a silo, right? It's sleep along with all the other stuff we're recording, exercise, heart arrhythmias. Um, You've talked about mental health with me. What about, you know, passive things like text errors or voice changes? We have all these digital streams coming in and they're kind of forming the phenotype of, you know, 2023, our digital phenotype is what people call it. And I think we're going to learn more about how those things actually predict health. And my big thing is, let's get into preventative medicine. Preventative medicine has still really been a far cry from what we do every day in clinic and in the hospital. And so I hope sleep's a big part of that. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you learned something new today about sleep, maybe it was sleep supplements or the value of consistently going to bed and waking up at the same time, then share this with a friend, somebody that's looking to improve their health and wellness. You never know the impact it may have in their life. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.